I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to The Broad Experience, the show about women, the workplace and success. I'm Ashley Miltite. This time, working with an illness. We have a stereotype of women as weak or weaker So I think that when you have a chronic illness and you're sitting there thinking like, oh, I am weaker than my male colleagues, I do have more trouble with this. I think that that part rankles in a a way that would be very different than it would be for men. And how or whether to let the office know about it. Two people at work asked me, oh, what happened to your arm? And I, I lied. I said, oh, I just fell and sprained my wrist that's when I really started thinking more about, okay, how am I going to handle this at work? What am I going to say? Coming up, we look at our attitudes to health and strength at work. Mary Ratliff lives in Virginia, just outside Washington, D.C. She was one of several listeners who wrote to me after the show I did on working with Asperger's. I was interested to know if some of you would be interested to hear more about people with some kind of health condition and whether you'd like to contribute. And part of the reason I wanted to talk to Mary was because of something she said about being in a creative field and having a chronic condition. She's a documentary filmmaker, but like so many filmmakers, that's not how she earns all of her living. She handles social media for a Washington think tank 15 hours a week, and she does various other gigs. And her condition isn't the kind of illness where people offer you immediate sympathy or understanding. We spoke on Skype. When you wrote to me, you said you had a sleep disorder. Yeah. So with me, it's a it's something that people with chronic illness are probably very familiar with this idea is that I have a diagnosis that is their best guess and it's called an exclusionary diagnosis, which is that I've gone through so many tests that have come up negative that they've kind of said, okay, we've decided that you have idiopathic hypersomnia, which basically when you boil it down means you have extreme fatigue that we can't find a primary cause. So, you know, I've been tested for apnea, narcolepsy, all those things. None of them are what my issue is. The first time she went to a doctor for this was when she was 14. She's now in her mid-30s. So she's been dealing with this for years. I've had good months, bad months, that kind of thing. And Like I said, I've been tested for apnea three times, actually, because I'm also overweight. And being an overweight woman in the American medical system means that you have a tendency for doctors to sort of just discount what you're telling them. And they have a tendency to just be like, oh, well, you're just out of shape. You just need to exercise. You just need to do X. You just need to eat less. Like, so, you know, I was kind of waiting through that for a very long time. But for me, it finally started to really come into like a conclusion in 2012. She was doing post-production on her documentary and making silly mistakes. She was also working on a couple of friends films and just knew she was not doing as good a job as she could. Added to the built-up lack of sleep was the stress of bringing in these projects in good shape 
on deadline. She says she's had anxiety issues for some time. So the anxiety was at like an all-time high. I basically spent six months, almost a year, where I would be awake for 30 to 36 hours and then sleep for 14 hours. And I was just, I was non-functional. I was, I was no good to the rest of the world. She had to figure out what was going on. So she started seeking out specialists. She's been through three sleep studies since then, received tons of suggestions. Yes, she gave up caffeine years ago. Now she has a doctor she really likes, but no one's really got to the bottom of what's causing this yet. Right now she's doing better, though. She's on medication to help her stay awake rather than to help her sleep. Once I started taking that and I'm awake for more of the day, you know, I used to get to a point where two o'clock in the afternoon, I literally could not keep my eyes open and I would fall asleep. And I, you know, if I didn't set an alarm, I would sleep for two or three hours in the middle of the afternoon. Well, then, you know, that throws off your sleep cycle. So now that I'm on this medicine to help me stay awake, I'm sleeping better at night. You spoke specifically when you approached me about this, about your life as a creative. And you said there's a lot of advice and rules for creative careers that can be hurtful or difficult when you have a chronic illness. What did you mean by that? The one that I think of first whenever people bring this up is when you do anything that's involved with writing, People always say, write every day. That's like their favorite piece of advice to give you, write every day. And when you have a chronic illness and you have bad days, you can feel like the biggest failure in the world if you're not able to do something that everybody else acts like is so simple. Where they're like, you know, you can't be a writer if you don't write every day. You don't really mean it. And they they do this with art too. And they're like, you know, if you're not working on your film work every day, if you're a freelancer, if you're not looking for jobs every day, then you're not really committed. You're not really doing it. You don't really mean it. But there were days and still are days when she feels like she just can't put fingers to keyboard. Her brain's in a total fog and she knows she's not the only one who's struggling. Especially like someone with a chronic illness like fibromyalgia or something that has a pain component. You know, if you're not able to actually just even sit up at the computer, then how are you supposed to be looking for a job that day? But then you've got all of these little voices saying that that means that you don't really want it. You're not really chasing your passion. And that starts to really wear you out. And that was really where I started to get upset and wanted to kind of resist my diagnosis and and say, like, no, it's got to be something that's fixable. It's got to be just me. And, uh, you know, maybe if I just change this one thing, maybe if I just do this, I can I can be this creative like they they say I'm supposed to be. She says it's only been during the past few months that she's been able to tell herself on bad days she can't do that particular task. And that doesn't mean that I'm a failure. It just means that I have a different situation. I was going to say, how how do you feel about this situation? I mean, you know, frustrated, guilty, less than, all of those things. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely all of those, depending on the day, sometimes all at once. Um, and it's, you know to be a little bit topical about it, all the discussion in the last few weeks about Hillary Clinton's health has actually really bothered me because I already feel like there's kind of people looking at me thinking like, oh, well, you know, she can't do this. And to see someone that's like, you know, trying for the most powerful position in the entire country and because she likes to sit with a pillow behind her back, people think that she can't do it. And in case this Hillary pillow story passed you by, 
Back in August, there was a flurry of internet chatter about photos taken of Clinton using a pillow or leaning against a stool at public events. The question seemed to be, if she needed these props, could she lead? Mary and I had this conversation right after Clinton revealed she had pneumonia but hadn't let on about the illness for a couple of days after her diagnosis. Mary isn't surprised Clinton kept her mouth shut. She says it's partly why she's been so hard on herself. The image we're supposed to present at work is one of strength. Anything less and you can be branded not good enough. The rhetoric comes across very derogatory towards people who aren't perfectly able-bodied. So it does, it it makes you start to feel so less than that you have to say, like, I just, that's a thing that's beyond my abilities. I can't do that. Just because she can't work on a film set six days a week for 12 hours a day, she says that doesn't mean she's a less creative person or someone who's coasting, not making an effort. But that's very hard to get through to people. I mean, it's, it's something that my parents were both disabled. And so it's something that I've been noticing for a very long time. Things like, um... When people think it's funny to talk about like people who take the elevator up one flight of steps and to insult them and say that they're lazy. And it's like, you don't you don't know them. You don't know the challenges that they're facing. You don't know why that person wanted to sit down on the subway. Maybe they just had knee surgery and they're just you have no idea. Our society has some problems with that that they need to work out. And as we were talking about these perceptions of weakness and laziness, I was thinking about the other side of this story. Man. In a way, I wonder if this stuff is harder for men. After all, the stereotype of the invincible alpha male is very much out there. So are you thought even less of if you're a man who has some kind of condition you're dealing with? Mary doesn't think so. You know, there's this idea that if a woman wants to be successful in the workplace, she has to be twice as successful. So, you know, you're already coming from this disadvantaged place where people don't have the same expectations of you. Again, going back to Hillary Clinton, you know, if a male candidate had said, like, you know, I'm I'm feeling overheated, people probably wouldn't have thought that far into it. Um, But with her, you know, people are looking like there's there's amateur people trying to say that she has Parkinson's and trying to diagnose her random from random things. And I think a little bit of that is is that idea of we have a stereotype of women as weak or weaker, I guess is the way to put it, that women are weaker physically. So I think that when you have a chronic illness and you're sitting there thinking like, oh, I am weaker than my male colleagues, I do have more trouble with this. I can't lift that box. I do have to go get help. I think that that part rankles in a a way that would be very different than it would be for men. If you have a different opinion, let me know, especially if you're a man who's had his own experience of illness at work. When Mary first got her part-time social media job, she wasn't comfortable letting on to managers or colleagues that she had any kind of health issue. She'd do her utmost to make sure she was on the whole time she was at work. She'd arrange therapy sessions or doctor's appointments around that. But later, when she'd been there for a while, she was put on an experimental regime to limit her sleep. And this was going to interfere with her work. The idea was to retrain her body and mind and reset your body clock. So I was basically trying to function on even less sleep than I had been getting. And I finally realized that I was just going to have to tell them because I was like, you know, listen, this is the thing right now. My brain is Swiss cheese because I'm not getting any sleep and it's on purpose. I'm under doctor supervision, but I just need you to be patient with me 
and to help me, like, if I ask you to go back over my work, just, you know, try not to judge me for it. And they were perfectly understanding. I actually have amazing co-workers. I, I love my job. She realizes that compared to a lot of people, she is lucky. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. My next guest isn't using her name. You'll find out why a bit later. She can say what she does for a living. I'm a human resources professional. I am a a generalist and I work in a a large corporation. She just turned 35. She's been married since she was in her late 20s. No kids. Back in April of this year, she went on vacation. I went to a tropical location and even walking on the beach was painful. My knees were just bothering me so much. And uh, it, it really worried me also because there, there was a, a swimming pool and I, re- I realized I couldn't tread water anymore. I just didn't have the strength in my legs. I've always been a strong swimmer. She says the pain wasn't like anything else she'd experienced. It felt really heavy and almost like I had um, like a bag of hot coals tied around my knees. It was just extremely uncomfortable. This wasn't the first time she'd noticed something amiss. About 10 years before, she'd had some issues with her balance and had to be hospitalised for a while. Then lately, she'd begun feeling odd sensations in her body. She was tired, she had to go to the bathroom more often, but none of it really seemed like a big deal until what happened on that beach. When she got back from vacation, she saw a doctor, had a bunch of tests. And one day she's at work and the phone rings. It's her doctor. So she's sitting there, no privacy, We have open cubicles and I um, stepped away into a conference room. I have a conference room uh, just a few feet away from my cubicle and I stepped into a conference room and he said, well, based on what you've described and some of these, uh, some of the, the tests, we did MRIs and some lab work. Based on all of that, I I think that you have uh, MS. Multiple sclerosis. He was pretty confident, pretty sure that it was MS. And I just knew in my gut that he was right. You know, you just get that feeling, you know. I knew he. I knew that it was MS. And I still had to get a confirmation from a neurologist, from a specialist. But I knew that, I knew that that was it. And I was just in a conference room by myself on the phone with him. And I just sort of started crying. And then, then I called my husband. And then I cleaned myself up and, and got back to work because I was in the office and then and then just kind of processing that for the rest of the day and, and the days and weeks to come. On the one hand, she thought, how can this be me? I can't have this disease. On the other, something at the back of her brain told her, yup, this is what's wrong. It all fits. And the thing about MS is people have quite different experiences with the disease, so she's not sure how things will pan out for her long term. For some people, it's their eyesight, and for some people, it's their balance, and for some people, it's, like like with me, odd sensations and trouble walking. So they really don't know 
what what you can expect. Everyone is different. From what I've read online, there's a percentage, maybe about 20% of people that do end up um, wheelchair bound. And so that part has been probably the scariest, just thinking about the future and not knowing. I mean, you were at work when you got the diagnosis, which is you know, typical that these things happen when we are in a place where we don't want to let our feelings show. We're trying to maintain our privacy. What about going forward at work? I mean, talk about how you've handled this at work, because you mentioned that you've you've had some trouble walking. And of course, you know, people or some people are going to notice that. Yes, one person did notice and, and she asked me, uh, she said, are you okay? Or what's happening? You're You're walking. And I just sort of played it off. I just said, oh, my knees are just a little stiff today. I'll be fine. And I just said something, you know, very, very quickly was in the hallway. And I just didn't know how to react. Uh, Up to that point, I really hadn't thought about how to react to questions at work. Um, With so much to think about, I just, I don't know, I didn't really prepare. And so I just shrugged it off and she wished me well and we went um, on our way. But then I needed... um, some treatment, which required an IV on my arm. And so I had a bandage around my arm for about five days. And two people at work asked me, oh, what happened to your arm? And I I lied. I said, oh, I just fell and sprained my wrist. What I didn't, again, I just didn't know what to say. So I I did lie. And um, that's when I really started thinking more about, okay, how am I going to handle this at work? What am I going to say? Because lying and, and keeping that secret just started to make me feel really uncomfortable. After all, she sees these people every day and they're well-intentioned, but... I do have some concerns about the consequences of disclosure. Now, she works in HR. She says she's not worried about losing her job over this revelation. In fact, the law would be on her side. She wanted to be anonymous on this show for slightly different reasons. For one thing, her boss doesn't know yet that she has MS, and her boss may sympathise for all she knows, but it's more complicated than that. Thinking about promotions and opportunities, would I be held back from those because I might be seen as less competent or less able to handle stress because I have multiple sclerosis? And so that really is my main concern. And I know this because I'm an HR professional. I know that biases exist. Yeah, well, I thought that was so interesting when you mentioned to me in your on your note about this that, you know, you work in HR and you know how things really work, you said. I mean, can you talk about that for a minute? Because, of course, we're all presented with this idea that HR in America, at least, is terribly fair and there are all these rules and American companies really have to jump through multiple hoops if they want to uh, get rid of somebody. So what what's it really like? Well, what I meant by that is... Th- all these rules do exist. Uh, the ADA, Americans with Disabilities Act, protects against discriminating and hiring and, and promotions or dismissal at work, and that then that's all true. But at the end of the day, however, if, uh, again, a hiring manager is faced with that decision, he or she could simply say, I am not the most qualified candidate for whatever reason. Maybe I don't have enough experience or I don't have the right certification or it could be anything else. And I would have no way to prove that that is because I, the manager's aware that I have MS. 
She's been reading a lot online and she says even the MS Society advises you may not want to say anything at work because of just these things. The possibility of being treated differently, losing out on better positions. Again, this whole thing of being seen as weak and not up to the job. Still, she wonders, should she tell people? After all... There's a lot of talk nowadays about authenticity at work, right? Bringing your authentic self to work. And so that's something I've been thinking about. Okay, I, I need to get uh, more comfortable. And I know I will over time. This is who I am. I have multiple, scler- multiple sclerosis and that is my authentic self now. And, and it's different than who I was a few months ago, but just getting comfortable with, with that and, and, and saying that if needed. But at the same time, I don't think she should be under any pressure to tell because of an overblown management trend around being authentic. But you may have other ideas. I told my listener I'd ask, is there anyone out there in a similar boat who has any advice for her? Let me know if so. I wondered how much her diagnosis is affecting her outlook on life. It's amazing how in just a short few short months, it's just impacting everything, the way I, I see the world and especially my interactions at work. And, and maybe that's the silver lining, right? It, it makes us more empathetic and more, more open to that. We just don't know what someone is going through at work. It's impossible to separate what's going on in your personal life from work. And that's, that's been one of my biggest takeaways is I just don't know what someone's going through. What about your thoughts about your future career? I mean, some people say when they get some kind of diagnosis, it's changed my view of what I think is important. You know, somebody who was wildly ambitious and might have spent all their time at work now wants to spend more time with their family, which is a bit of a cliche, but you know what I mean. I wonder, are you thinking differently at all about career versus the rest of your life or not really? I am a little bit and I, I, I'm not superbly ambitious or, or anything like that, not, not to this point. One thing that has, or I'm definitely thinking about is the stress level, thinking about if I wanted to be in a leadership position or um, a management position, that, that comes with a lot of stress. And stress can make my condition, um, can cause a relapse or an exacerbation. Which obviously she wants to avoid. What has not changed is wanting to be a solid performer because now that I'm ill, I also think, okay, I really, obviously I've always really needed my job. We all need our jobs, but I really need my job. I have short-term disability with my job. I have long-term disability. And that has become just crucial in my thinking, okay, if I do become severely disabled or just anything. Well, I know I have this security at work and that that's a comfort. So I don't want to do anything to risk that. And so whatever the future holds, I I don't know, but being a solid performer, that hasn't changed. Thanks to my listener for sharing her experience on the podcast. And as I said earlier, if any of you want to contribute to this discussion, particularly about how and whether to come clean about an illness or other condition at work, let me know. You can post on the Facebook page at thebroadexperience.com or you can email me via the website. And my first guest, Mary Ratliff, she does her own podcast called Introductions Necessary. It's all about women in STEM fields, most of whom we've never heard of. 
I'm getting married at the end of this week and I'm a bit busy, so you won't be getting a new show in two weeks, but I promise the one you will get is relevant to our current times. And I get that not everyone can contribute with a donation to the show, but maybe you can write a positive review on iTunes. I'd love it if you did. That's the broad experience for this time. I'm Ashley Miltite. Thanks for listening.